Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pete, and I get to be one of the pastors here at Epiphany Station. We're continuing our series on the Bible. And as we started uh, back several weeks ago, we talked about God in creation, and especially as it pertains to us as human beings, we are created in his image, and his desire is that we would come to know him. And so God showed us through the nation of Israel initially what that relationship can look like as he gave them the law, the Ten Commandments. This is how you live. And he showed also his will through kings and through prophets. We fast forward to the New Testament and God in a very direct and unique way, most unique way, showed us who he is through his son, Jesus Christ, as he was born into this world. And Jesus did many great things. We come to the point, however, where we are at this odd, seemingly odd place because all of this for us to know that Jesus died. And why? Why did he have to die? Go with me to the the moments that lead up to the greatest event in the history of this world. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, uh, just outside the city gates of Jerusalem, about a half mile, the Mount of Olives. And within that Mount of Olives, we have the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a place where Jesus would often go with his followers to get comfort and and to, to be able to get perspective to speak with the Father in prayer. Jesus, in a very short time, would be betrayed by one of his own. He would stand before the high priest, before Pontius Pilate, before King Herod, and he would fight an epic battle with evil. He had shared with his disciples a last meal together. He shared an intimate time with those same disciples about the significance of service when he washed his disciples' feet. Now he's sensing with deep torment in his spirit what lies ahead. Certain death of a most inhumane way, a death designed to be endured by heinous criminals for sure. This makes no sense. Why would this man Jesus, who only did good. He healed people. He gave hope. He forgave people's sins. He loved people. Why would he have to die? Now, Jesus had plenty of enemies, for sure. We know that uh, the religious crowd, for example, had, they, they couldn't believe that he would heal on the Sabbath day. And and Jesus would tell them how spiritually blind they were because all they did was exercise their religious duties. They had developed a real hate for Jesus. He claimed to be God's son, a blasphemous charge, so they said. Certainly they were so willing to have him nailed to a cross, done away with for good. Then there were the Romans, the experts in the field of execution, a very effective means of curbing an appetite for insurrections against their rule. But neither of these 
was the primary reason for his death. If you're taking notes this morning, the primary reason for Jesus' death was that it was God's will that he would die. We look at the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Prophet Isaiah gives us these words some 800 years before they actually took place. From the New Living Translation, it says this, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Jesus came to earth to experience life as a human being in order to do the will of the Father, which was to die. Jesus is agonizing over this reality while he's in the garden. And we have further evidence of that agony, that distress, when later Jesus is on the cross and he cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The weight of what Jesus anticipated, what he understood he would endure was excruciating. Up to now, there had been an old covenant agreement, an agreement between God and the people of Israel that one time of year, the high priest would go into the holy of holy place in the temple behind a curtain, slaughter an animal for a sacrifice for the sins of the people and his own. And now that practice is about to be abolished because the Lamb of God Jesus Christ is about to become an ultimate sacrifice. We read about that in Hebrews chapter 7. It says this, Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first, and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for people's sins. And then further, to gain insight into the torment that Jesus was experiencing, we read in 2 Corinthians 5, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. In other words, some versions say, He became sin for us so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This was the heaviest price for Jesus to pay on our behalf. And God's will, His love knew no limit. That love would lead to death for His Son. Our core verse for this series is found in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him.
while Jesus was in the garden, while he agonized over his impending death, as excruciating as the pain would be, the nails piercing through his feet and his wrists, as exhaustible as it would be to struggle just to gain a breath, I believe the most agonizing part was to carry sin upon himself, past, present, and future. Back in the garden, as Jesus said to his disciples from Matthew 26, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. The backdrop to the agony of Jesus and his experience is this. After they had shared a meal together, they began to walk out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus had made this statement to his disciples, Tonight, all of you will desert me. When Peter, he rises to the occasion, always willing to correct the master on just a little bit to clarify when he says, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Not only did he desert Jesus, but we know that he also denied even knowing Jesus. Now Jesus was certainly very aware of Peter's weakness. But Jesus still welcomed Peter and the rest to pray with him. Jesus invited weak, vulnerable followers when they were at their lowest. Nothing has changed. He still does the same today. This is why Many churches, ours included, will say something like, don't wait till you get everything together to come through the doors of a church on a Sunday morning. The very fact that you don't have it together is the very reason why you need to be here. When Jesus invited them to pray with him, they all fell asleep. But let's not be too tough on them those disciples. Given the roller coasters of emotion that they had experienced even before Jesus was arrested. Think about this. He reminded them often that he would go through tremendous suffering and even death, but they couldn't fathom it. They didn't get it. Now they were tired after the last meal, and it was easiest to just simply fall asleep. But before they did, Peter made sure, again, that Jesus understood that he was trustworthy. Jesus could count on him when he said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Now, Peter, I think he had a good heart. It was a weak heart, flawed to the core. And he'd make claims that he couldn't follow through on. He didn't really take to heart fully Jesus' words. The Spirit is willing, Peter 
but the flesh. That's weak. We can choose to live naturally or to live supernaturally. Good friend shared with me just recently that she wishes forgiving others just came naturally. But there, of course, is the caveat. Forgiving others is not a natural thing to do. Our tendency, of course, is to, is to hang on to those words that were spoken or to hang on to the way that I was treated. But Jesus' call in our lives is to live supernaturally. At the last meal, when Jesus disclosed that he was about to suffer and die, but that would not be the end. He would rise from the dead, but that would not be the end. He would ascend to the Father, but even that would not be the end. He would not leave them as orphans because he would send the Holy Spirit. But the disciples' ability to see all that, to really take it in, was so limited. Why? Because they naturally questioned. They naturally doubted. They naturally disbelieved Jesus' words. They naturally were exhausted and spent. And Peter had yet to understand that he had a long way to go in his relationship with Jesus. Not for lack of energy or passion. He lacked the understanding of how much he needed spiritual energy. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, said Jesus. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter was trying to do it on his own. And Jesus was telling him, Peter, it's not going to work. You're trying to do naturally what can only be done supernaturally. What Jesus was about to do to go to that cross would make life possible to live supernaturally in the resurrection power of Jesus the Christ. And what Peter had struggled to do naturally, he would find out could be done supernaturally through that death and resurrection. And the same is true for us today, we have that resurrection power available in our lives and the ability to live supernaturally. God is able to work in us. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians was describing his life and the big picture of he learned to have little in life and he learned to have much and he was just sort of overviewing all the trials and the hardships and, and the good stuff that he had experienced in life. And, and it was in that spirit that he said this in Philippians 4.13, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When we come to faith in Christ and receive his free gift of salvation, Recognize that he died for my sin and, and, and so I receive that love. We often say, I am saved. 
Then we continue to live life through the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, and we come to discover that it's a real battle. And we have to make a conscious effort to, sounds kind of funny, but we have to make an effort to let go and allow the Holy Spirit to live our lives through us. We can call that, I am being saved, or in other words, I'm in the process. I'm a work in progress. I am being saved. And then someday, Jesus will return for his people, his followers, those who put their hope and faith in him. And at that point, we will recognize, as we're looking ahead to that day, we will say, I will be saved. It's the whole process in our lives. So coming to faith in Christ is simply the beginning of the rest. God holds us the whole time. Our security is in Him to live supernaturally. And all this is possible because Jesus did what the Father willed, that He would die. This morning we're, we're going to do what we call Next Step at Epiphany. It's an opportunity to put feet to what we hear. And this is a challenge for all of us, me included. And it's just simply this. Live supernaturally. Embrace your weakness. As much sometimes as we want to say, I'm not going to be like Peter and the disciples. Sometimes we have that old temptation to go back to doing things our way. And we think we know best. Embrace your weakness, recognize your vulnerability, and that will draw us to God's strength. And we will be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I can do everything through Christ. doesn't mean that every day always goes well. But I'm going in his strength, not mine. I'm going to ask if, if our music team would come up. And at this point, the kids that were dismissed for E-Kids, they're going to be coming back in for our communion time. Now, the way the Bible talks about communion it reminds us of the importance of Jesus' death on the cross and why he had to come to die. And so for ourselves, as we receive this communion, uh, symbolic of Jesus' body and his blood with the, the bread and a gluten-free option as well and the grape juice, we're recognizing that Jesus died for me and I receive his love by trusting and having faith in what he's done on my behalf. If that's describing you or if that's describing your child, that's mom, dad, uh, that's something that you can even now talk with your child about. If you've not come to that place yet in your life where you're trusting Christ, then I encourage you just to simply stay where you're at 
Enjoy the, the songs and take in the moment. But this is a time where we own our weakness, recognize that we can live supernaturally through His strength, and acknowledge Christ's death on our behalf. The way this works is the middle section will be the first section to go, and we have two stations here. And so just uh, approach the station and then return back to your uh, seat from the side aisles and, and then take the communion in your own timing. The side sections will wait till the middle section is pretty much done and then invite uh, all of you to go to your respective stations and return uh, through the side aisle as well. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, that we can claim your resurrection power in our lives. May that stick with us, especially through the most difficult of days. Thank you that you have secured our salvation. And so we can say, we are able to say, I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.